Yeah, I've been looking forward to this all week as well. And I know I haven't said this lately, but, you know, I really want to be on the praise and worship team. <laughs> and I noticed today that Pastor Brent was singing quite a bit. So, so I have hope again. <laughs> Let's lift our hearts to the Lord. Father, thank you so much, so much for your love, your grace, and your mercy towards us. Thank you for this day. Uh, Thank you for hearts that are pliable and receptive to your word. We pray for transformation this morning. We pray, God, that the word would enter our hearts and draw us closer to you. Bless and strengthen the pastor. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, I just jumped right up on the platform, man. I mean, um, so today we are back exploring uh, the book of James, and we're in James chapter 3, and James chapter 3 is all about the power of words, the power and importance of the words we speak. And as I was preparing, I was reminded of the young bride who uh, was moving towards her wedding day, and she was a little nervous, full of a little bit of trepidation and fear. So she turned to the scriptures, and she turned to her favorite passage, which is 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, which says, uh, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. So she turned to this passage, and, and, and this brought her comfort so much so that she called the baker uh, that was making the, be- the wedding cake, and she said to this baker, she said, I want you to emblazon on my cake the words of John 4.18. Now, some of you guys caught that. She didn't say 1 John 4.18. She said John 4.18. That's a different passage, okay? John 4.18 is the passage where Jesus is talking to the women, woman at the well. A couple, couple days later, the baker calls back and he says, are you sure you want this passage on your cake? She says, yes, I do. That's the passage that I want on my cake. So he said, okay. Got to the wedding. Everything went great. Got to the reception. She and her, and her new husband walk up to the cake, and they look down with horror at the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, 18, emblazoned on the cake, which reads, Woman, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband either. Just one little word. One little mistake. That's the power of words. And so we're reading this letter from James to the church, and Jesus' little brother James wrote this passage. He was a pastor in Jerusalem, um, and his, the, the church in Jerusalem was massive, tens of thousands of people. And he wrote this letter to um, Christians that had been scattered out all through the Roman Empire, and he wrote it to inspire them and encourage them and empower them to put their faith into action. He wanted them to not just be hearers of the word, but to also be doers. And so he wrote this letter to activate and ignite and, 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 and inspire them to exercise their faith and to live it out. But I want to give you a word of caution. Whenever I'm doing James, I want to give you a word of caution because I don't want you to misinterpret this letter. This letter is not a letter about how to become a Christian. Okay? This letter is not a do this and God will be pleased with you kind of letter. This is a letter for Christians who have already been adopted and born into God's family by grace through faith, and it's an instruction manual for them about how to now live it out as a follower of Jesus. Uh, And I want to give you, I just was thinking of this analogy this week. 
Um, put that picture of Daphne back up, uh, would you, Michelle? Um, for the next several years, Chris and Sarah are going to be providing instruction to little baby, baby Daphne about how to talk, about how to walk, about how to eat, how to treat others, uh, how to take care of herself, how to learn, and how to make good choices, right? But what they will not be instructing her is how to become their daughter. Why? Because she is already their daughter. What I'm trying to drill down for you guys is this distinction between, between faith and works. The, faith, the works are the outcome or the outgrowth of the faith. But they're not going to be teaching this baby, like, if you don't do this, you won't be my daughter, right? What they're doing is saying, hey, now that you are our daughter, we have a responsibility to instruct you in ways that will liberate you and strengthen you and empower you to live a good life. And so that's what James is doing in this passage. So I don't want you to get caught up in the legalism that says, this is the way to become a Christian. If you're not a, a believer and you're here today, don't understand this passage as do these 10 steps and then you'll be in God's good favor because that's not what the gospel is. The gospel is about Jesus Christ who died for you, right? And he gave his life for you as a ransom so that you could be saved by grace through faith in him. That's it. And then now if you're a Christian, here's how you walk it out. You got that? Okay, cool. Now we get on to James. Um, this particular passage he's talking about is the power of words uh, and, and how words can make a, a, a huge difference because you can start a war with words or you can build a truce. You can cement a friendship with words or you can decimate a family. Words can heal like a, like a soothing balm or they can cut like a knife. Words matter. In fact, so much so that in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, it says death and life are in the power of the tongue. What you say matters. What you say has real, genuine import. What you post on Facebook matters. If James was preaching today, he would, this, would, this would be a chapter about Facebook and, and Twitter. Um, what you tweet matters. What you say to your friends matter. What you say to your kids matters. What you say to your colleagues matters. To your husband and wife that matters. And some of you know this because some of you were indelibly and deeply marked by words that were spoken to you or over you or at you or about you when you were a little child. And you have spent years trying to overcome and undo the ramifications of those words that were spoken about you. Some of you heard uh, shame and condemnation growing up, maybe from family, maybe from friends, maybe from school, maybe from church. And you've spent years going, how do I undo this, right? You heard words like that you didn't amount to anything, that you were a screw-up, that you wouldn't do anything with your life, uh, that you were an idiot. And, and those words warmed into your heart, and they stuck there. And I want to say, just as a preface to this passage, that God says three words to you that are meant to dissolve and undo and, and resolve all of those words. His words are, I love you. I love you. Those are the words from God to you that are meant to help smooth and soothe and eradicate the harm that has been done to you by words from others. Um, when I was about 18, and I was in this sort of exploration period of my life that lasted, um, you know, 15 years, um, 
I, I, was, I was struggling trying to think of what to do with my life. I, I, I felt a call to the ministry. I did not want to do that at that time. Um, but I, anyway, I went to a, a little Bible college, unaccredited Bible college in Northern California, um, because I just I didn't know what else to do. That's where my dad, that's what my dad had done. And I went there, and I was the guy who was like always asking questions that nobody really wanted to answer. You know, it's like, please stop asking these questions. These are uncomfortable. Uh, and um, I remember a very well-meaning but misguided uh, uh, minister took me aside at one point uh, because at that point I thought, you know, I'm bombing out in this Bible college. I'm going to go to college where I can really ask questions. And this, this guy, he meant well, um, but he said, he said, listen, Brent, if you go to college, you're going to lose out with God. And I remember thinking, wow, like you're saying that if I ask the questions about God and the Bible and faith that are on my heart, questions that I, you know, that I'm genuinely wrestling with, uh, and if I go and ask those questions in college, then I'm going to lose out with God. And, and, he's, and, and those words actually stung quite deeply because what I took from that, because I was young and rebellious and angry, was, okay, well, look, if you guys can't answer my questions, then I'll go find somebody who can. And so I went to college with a chip on my shoulder, and it was no time at all that I had abandoned the faith completely, threw the baby out with the bathwater, and didn't want anything to do with any of it. Your words matter. What you say has impact. And I, I'm not... I'm not I'm not saying that those words, you know, resulted in my path. I would have gone down that path anyway. But those words, it took me a long time to think, think through and to, uh, and to undo those words for myself. James, in, in the beginning of this uh, passage, in the beginning of this book, he says in verse 26 of chapter 1, he says, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves, and their religion is useless. What he's saying is your words are intricately connected to your heart. So what you say is a representation of what's going on inside. So you can have all sorts of piety and all sorts of uh, religiosity and uprightness on the outside. But if there is cunning and evil and deceitfulness and lying and gossip and bickering and, uh, in your heart and corruption in your heart, that's going to come out and it's going to demonstrate that that piety is just a facade to hide the darkness of your soul. That's what James is saying. And in this uh, chapter, he gives, in the first 11 verses or so, he gives three very distinct insights about the power of words. And I'm going to tell you what they are at the beginning, and then we'll just sort of unpeel them as we go through um, this book. Are you with me so far? Everybody's good. All right. Um, sometimes when you're just thinking and listening very closely, I think, man, did I, am I connecting? But you're there with me. Amen. Mother Ray, I'm going to need some amens today. Can you hook me up? Okay, here are the three, the three uh, principles. One is that words direct the life of the speaker. I'm going to explain that. But the words that you speak actually direct the life of the one who speaks the words. Words direct the life of the speaker. Words affect the life of the healer, uh, hearer. That's number two. Words affect the life of the one who hears the words that you speak. And then number three is words reveal the state of your heart. Words reveal the state of your heart. So let's jump in at verse 3 in James chapter 3. 
James says, and uses this brilliant uh, uh, metaphor that I love. He says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses uh, to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships, as an example, he says. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, he says, the tongue is a small part or member of the body, but it makes great boasts. In other words, the words you speak have a major, major impact. So the the images that he uses in this part of the metaphor are of a ship that's controlled by the rudder and of a horse that's controlled by the bit in its mouth, right? So what he's saying is that the words you speak actually have long-term ramifications on the trajectory of your life, the, the one who speaks them. So normally we think of the words, the effect they have on the hearer, but he's saying in this part of the metaphor that they actually direct the, the life of the speaker. Uh, words direct the life of the speaker. So let's take a moment and think about instances in your life and in my life where words that we spoke have had a lasting impact on you. For instance, there may have been, you know, scenarios and circumstances in your life where you said no to something, and maybe there was somebody or something that was tempting you to do something that you knew you shouldn't do, and you said no, and you're now thanking God because if you had said yes, your path could have gone very differently, all right? Maybe the word that you think of is yes, Maybe you said yes to some opportunity and you weren't sure you were going to, or you said yes to some friendship, or you said, you know, yes, when somebody invited you to church, you said, yes, I'll read that book or whatever. And that yes affected the outcome and direction of your life. Maybe the words were, I quit. If anybody's ever said that, those are two words. Those two words haunted me for years. Because it went, when, I, when I did end up in college, I ended up getting uh, an opportunity to go study in Oxford and, and, and had a scholarship over there. And I was there, but by that time I was, I was angry, I was rebellious, I was hardened, I was cynical, I was calloused. And, and I was just confused and a depressed and angry guy. And I remember at one point, not really knowing where to turn, not you know, being too proud to turn to somebody else and say, hey, I need some help. Those would have been three words that I could have used at that point. Uh, I said, I quit. And I walked away from an amazing opportunity. Uh, and, and that haunted me for years. That, that activity, that I quit, those two words directed my life in a way that really, really uh, harmed. I felt like it harmed me for, for a long time. Thankfully, I said another couple of words um, a few years after that. The, the words, I do. Those were two really good words that I said. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, th- those, were, those were two of the best words I've ever said. Um, and those two words changed my life. And for you, some of you have changed your life. Um, the words, I'm sorry. That, those two words can change the trajectory and the direction of your life. I was watching a, a documentary um, this week about a mixed martial arts fighter uh, named Frank Shamrock. And I think we got, there's Frank right there. He's tough. Um, Frank Shamrock was a guy, or is a guy, who grew up in really tough surroundings. He had suffered all sorts of abuse as a child, physical, sexual, emotional, everything you can imagine. Um, and he, he ended up in jail for a little while, and he got out. But by the time he had gotten out, he just became so 
so jaded, so angry, so embittered, so hardened, um, and, and his mind just wasn't, wasn't thinking right. And there were people that would reach out to him. Uh, a guy adopted him and brought him into his family. He had some adopted brothers. He had some folks that were really trying to, to look out for him. But by his words, Frank Shamrock alienated each and every one of those people as they came along in his life. And he was climbing through the ranks of the, of the fighting world. He won championships in the UFC and WEC and Strike Force and was really climbing up that ladder. But he was alienating and isolating every single person that tried to love him by his words. And he found that after years of this, he ended up being directed by those words into a very dark, cold, and lonely, and isolated place. And in this documentary, what's beautiful is that at some point in his life, he realized words have got me here, and I'm going to need to use some different words to get me out. And in this documentary, he goes to his brother, who he had abandoned many, many years ago, and he sits down with him, and they have this long conversation. And somewhere in this conversation, the words, I'm sorry, just spill out of his mouth. And it's, it's amazing. The tears start to flow. These two you know, tough, hard-nosed fighters are now, you know, crying and reconciling, and Shamrock is finding his way back into a place of love and acceptance because he was willing to change the rudder a little bit and say, I'm sorry. Your words direct your life. Um, what I love about that metaphor is that the, the implication of the image is that if you do change the rudder, the ship that's going this way can start to go this way. The horse that's being pulled a little bit this way, if you just change the pressure, can be going this way. Or if the horse is charging too quickly, a little pressure back and the horse will slow down. So this, there's a fluidity to this image and it gives you hope because it's like, you know, you can make some changes that will actually alter the direction and the course of your life. I want to, think, I want to have you think just for a minute, what are some words that you have spoken in your life that affected the trajectory of your life in a way that you regret? Just try to think about that for a minute. And then think about this. What are the words that you need to say that would return you back to a course that is the course that you know you want to be on? What are those words? Are they, I'm sorry? Maybe the words are, you're forgiven. Those are two hugely important words that can affect your life more even than the person who you are forgiving. Uh, Maybe the words are, I'm not doing this anymore. Maybe the words are, I need help. What are the words that you can speak and uh, just a slight change of your words can redirect your life? And then I'm going to go down to the next part of the metaphor um, that James continues on with this. Uh, He's talking about the words having a big impact on you. um, And then he turns in the next part of the metaphor and starts to talk about the impact that the words can have on others. So in verse 5, James 3 chapter, uh, James 3 verse 5, he says, Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, he said. A world of evil among the parts of the body. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Wow. 
What's he saying? He's saying not only do your words affect your life, but they affect the lives of those around you. Words affect the life of the hearer. I have a little cousin who grew up in rural Idaho, up in Rupert. And he is the sweetest guy you ever want to meet. Wouldn't harm a flea. But when he was a little kid, he kind of had this slightly uh, exaggerated interest in matches. And um, he was out mid-June, hay fields, hay's been cut, hay's drying in the field. Brian Rome, I'm calling you out, pal. Brian Rome, he sits down at the corner of a field. I don't know, he's probably six, seven years old. He's got his little box of matches. <laughs> and he's just lighting them. I mean, they're little tiny sparks. That's all. Just a little match. Suddenly, next thing you know, I mean this you know, he got up and ran home, but acres and acres and acres of field of, of hay just were completely consumed, burnt up. One little spark. That's what James is saying is the power of the tongue. He he's gone on. He's okay. He's not in prison. He's doing okay. Um uh have you ever been in, in an environment where there's this sort of like this negativity, comments, complaints, gossip, bickering, work or something, you know, uh, that kind of environment is absolutely toxic. If you've ever been in that environment, if you haven't, you're fortunate. Stay away from that. But if you have, and I'm not talking about addressing legitimate complaints, like something's wrong, you're going to address it, you're going to figure it out, and you're going to work towards a solution. I'm talking about that kind of like just nagging, complacent, complaining, bitterness. Anybody, have you ever been around that? It's absolutely burdensome to a person. In fact, there was a, a study recently done um, where the researchers were measuring the physical effects upon people who were around a lot of complaining. And what they did was they subjected these people that were participating in the study to a series of email complaints and verbal complaints and social media complaints, and they were measuring their um, physical responses. They were measuring their blood pressure, and they were measuring their cortisol levels. Cortisol is that hormone in your body. It's a stress hormone, and it gets elevated when you're undergoing serious stress. And what they found was that the people who were being subjected to the complaints had greater negative health consequences than even the people who were doing the complaining. It's like the secondhand smoke was more toxic than the firsthand smoke. And the folks that were sitting there being barraged by this were experiencing increased levels, blood pressure levels, and increased cortisol levels. And they found that these increased cortisol, uh, cortisol levels were leading to impaired cognitive performance, suppressed thyroid function. Some of you know what that is. I'm not exactly sure. Um, blood sugar imbalances, decreased bone density. That's weird. Decreased bone density, although I did read this week in Proverbs chapter 17, it says a joyful heart is good like a medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. There's a little bit of medical advice there in Proverbs. Um, Decreased muscle tissue, lower immunity responses, increased abdominal fat, which is associated with heart attacks, strokes, and higher cholesterol. (laughs) Why are you laughing at that, Rebecca? She's like, you're stressed out. I can see. Your belt is so tight. Um, (laughs) So the next time that someone, that you're in that environment, you know, just say, hey, look, I'm trying to stay healthy here, right? So either you got to find a solution 
or you got to stop talking this noise, or I got to move on somewhere else because I cannot be in an, in an environment where I'm going to be consumed by the little spark of the complaints and bickering and moaning and back talk, you know, uh, um, what is it, backstabbing and all that stuff that's going on. I cannot be consumed by that. Nobody likes complainers. One of the greatest um, researchers on this topic, especially with relationships, is a guy named John Gottman. And John Gottman says that the words that you use are the most determinative factor with respect to the longevity of your relationship with someone else. He's a marriage guy, and he's done a massive amount of study on this. He says that when you're in a relationship where there's a great deal of criticism, contempt, mocking, sarcasm, ridicule, name-calling, and defensiveness— you are on a path of destroying your relationship faster than anything else will do. Your words have power. They have major, major effect. And, you know, the words that you use to yourself, those have power also. The words that you communicate to yourself, you're not crazy if you talk to yourself. We all talk to ourselves. okay? You can just admit it. I, I heard a um, somebody the other day, they were talking about these three old guys that were like hanging around and talking. And one of the guys said, um, he said, you know, sometimes I'll be at the bottom of a staircase and I don't remember if I was going up the staircase or if I was coming down the staircase. And the second guy goes, you know, that's funny. He says, sometimes I'll be standing in front of the refrigerator with the door open, a glass, a, 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 a jar of mayonnaise in my hand. And I can't remember if I'm putting the mayonnaise in the refrigerator or if I'm taking it out. And the third guy said, he said, you know, I, I hate to tell you guys, but that kind of stuff, you know, it just doesn't happen to me. Knock on wood. Excuse me, guys. Somebody's at the door. Um, you're not crazy if you talk to yourself, all right? And the words that you speak, <laughs> thank you. The words that you speak to yourself matter. You have to ask yourself, what are you saying to yourself? And, and this isn't like self-help talk stuff. This is like, are you speaking the truth to yourself? Are you saying I'm forsaken or are you saying I'm forgiven? Are you saying I'm a lost cause or are you saying I'm a child of God? I, I felt convicted on this in the last few weeks because I don't know if it's, I, I don't know exactly why it is, but there, through little periods of my life, maybe it's stress, I would wake up in the morning, and the first thought that I would have would be, God, forgive me. And, and, and you know, I hadn't done anything particularly bad that day or that night. To, so I think the Lord spoke into my heart and just convicted me a little bit of this. And so now when I wake up, I am practicing just saying, Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you. Waking up with gratitude. Just adjusting the way that you speak to yourself. If you wouldn't speak to somebody else with the same language that you're using to speak to yourself, then you need to check the way that you're talking to yourself. Are you with me? All right. Um, and then in uh, verse 9, James says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with the tongue we curse beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? He's saying we cannot have this equivocation in our heart. Words reveal the state of your heart. Here's the truth. 
everything that you believe is eventually going to come out of your mouth at some point or other. You may be good at hiding it. You may be good at stuffing it. But at some point, in some conversation, in some way, it's going to come out. And you'll be revealed by the words you speak. Jesus said, out of the abundance or the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you want to know where your heart is at, listen to the words that you're speaking. Not just in public, but in the car. When you get cut off in traffic, what words are you speaking? (laughs) Um. When I was in law school, I spent my first summer at the prosecutor's office, and I was in the homicide unit of the Maricopa County Prosecutor's Office. And one of my tasks, my first task, was to listen to prisoner phone calls. And, um, you know, the phone calls would say, this call is being recorded. Uh, But after a while, people seemed to forget that. Um, So my job was to listen to the phone calls. And I remember the first um, inmate that I was assigned to listen to was a neo-Nazi skinhead guy who was in there um, on charges of multiple hate-related homicides. And I was listening to his phone calls for hours every day. And I got to tell you, it was the most disturbing, disturbing and sickening and, you know, bizarre job that I could have ever had because he would get on the phone he'd be on the phone with his little niece and he would just be the sweetest loveliest kindest gentlest guy that you could ever imagine and then he would get on the phone with one of his fellow gang member skinhead neo-nazi guys and the the bile that came out of his mouth was just unlistenable and i would go home and have nightmares about what this guy was saying what we say reflects what's in our heart we've seen this uh Numerous times recently, a few months ago, NBA Clipper owner Donald Sterling had some private conversations, and we got to hear what was in his heart. A few years before that, Mel Gibson had some phone calls recorded, and we got to hear what was in his heart. Before that, I don't remember, I don't know if you remember, but Alec Baldwin had some, some, some stuff recorded, and we got to hear what was in his heart. The reality is what's in your heart starts to flow out. If there was an invisible tape recorder... 24-7 for the last week, you know, on your lapel, would you be okay with that being played to everybody you know? Okay, I'm not, I'm just saying, let's just, let's just kind of reflect on the words that are coming out of our mouth because words matter. Words matter. I, and I want to leave you with three applications this week, three basic ways to apply this faith in action. Um, the first one is listen to yourself. Listen to yourself. Listen closely to the words that are coming out of your mouth. And if they don't reflect the kind of person that you want to be, then I want to encourage you to reach out to somebody. Reach out to another brother or sister in Christ. Get a, go to a counselor. Get involved in a life group. But find somebody to help explore this with you. Because sometimes it's important to get those words out so you can hear them or somebody else can hear them. And there's a little bit of like back and forth. And somebody can say, hey, you know, what I'm hearing in your tone and in your voice doesn't doesn't connect with what's going on or what you're claiming is going on with God. And so how can we help move you in that direction? So number one is listen to yourself. Number two is use your words to build up, not tear down. This is with your friends at home, with your spouse, on the job, on social media, on emails and text message. Just focus this week before you send that. I have an entire 
draft box full of emails that I never sent. And I'm so glad I never sent them. And I'm so glad you don't have the password to my emails. Um, there's a, a, a great story about Abraham Lincoln where he, um, a- after he, he had written a letter to one of his generals, and this letter was just, was just angry because this, let, this General Meade had uh, totally messed up a battle against uh, Robert E. Lee, and he was going to be able to capture him, and he didn't. And Abraham Lincoln wrote this angry letter. But they found the letter in Abraham Lincoln's desk after his death because he never sent the letter. So just consider and think about whether or not you are building up or you're tearing down in the words that you speak. And finally, we kind of started with this, but this has been just deeply on my heart for all week. Give thanks. Give thanks, not complaints. Every morning when you wake up, let those words come out of your mouth. God, thank you for the breath that I breathe. Thank you for the roof over my head. Thank you for the clothes on my back. Thank you for the food that I eat. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for the challenges that you've brought me through. Thank you for the struggles that I've endured that have made me the man or the woman that I am today. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you for keeping me. Thank you for drawing me close to you. Thank you for making me yours. Thank you for adopting me. When I didn't deserve it, thank you for making me yours and keeping me in the palm of your hand. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. The power of life and death, folks, are in your tongue. Let's choose life this week. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the instruction of James that gives us so much encouragement that activates uh, uh, our faith and, and, and encourages us and empowers and strengthens us to go out and do what we're called to do. God, we take this instruction with, um, with humility and with gratitude in our hearts, knowing, God, that it is directed at making our lives freer, not more bound. It's directed at making us uh, uh, liberated, not enslaved. And, Father, we ask today that you give us strength and that your Holy Spirit work within us that we may live out and truly put into practice the words of your scripture and the words of James. Uh, And God, we ask by your Holy Spirit that you do all of this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.